Just as you cannot understand the story of any book by randomly flipping through the pages of that book and starting at the middle or the end or somewhere towards the beginning, you'll never understand the story of the Bible by approaching it that way. The only way you can truly understand the story of the Bible is by doing what? By going to the beginning. And that's where we begin our series this morning, by going to the beginning of the Word of God. As it's written in Genesis chapter 1, we'll just be looking at the first three verses this morning of Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Now, Little heads up, we are going to be spending quite a ba- amount of time in the book of Genesis. Um, so bear with me each week. But Genesis, being the book of beginnings, the, the word Genesis literally means origins. It is the book and the story of beginnings. Uh, I believe and am convinced, and I, I know uh, theologians throughout the centuries would agree, that Genesis is absolutely foundational to understanding the whole story of God as it's found in the Word of God. And so we are going to spend quite a bit of time looking in the book of Genesis for understanding the foundation to God's story and ultimately our story. As I said, it was the near ancient tradition to take the first words or the first lines of a book and that would become the title of that book. So naturally, when they read the words in the beginning, that naturally became the name for the book that we are studying this week and the next several weeks. It became the book of Genesis, the book of origins, the book of beginning. Moses is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is writing the book of Genesis And he's writing the book of Genesis as the leader of the Israelites. The Israelites have escaped Egypt and they are on the outskirts of the promised land. They are in between Egypt and in between the promised land and the Israelites have lost their identity. They have forgotten who they are. They don't know who they are and who they belong to and where they're going. This is a lost people with a lost and confused identity. And God inspires Moses to write the book of Genesis to remind these people that your security and your identity is nothing like what you experienced in Egypt. And it's nothing like what you were going to experience in the promised land when you experience all of the gods that they worship in Canaan. But I want you to understand who you are and who you belong to. I want you to understand where you've come from and where you are going. It is foundational to understanding the story of God and ultimately our story. So look with me at these three verses as they're found in the book of the beginnings, the book of origins, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 through 3. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face and of the waters. And God said, let there be light. 
and there was light. And the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord, it stands forever. Amen. What do we call people who don't know who they are? What do we call people who don't know where they are? And what do we call people who don't know where they're going? We would say they're lost. I don't know about you, but I hate being lost. I hate not knowing where I am and where I'm going. It is a horrible way to live. You see, in order to understand who you are and where you're going, you have to understand the full story, the whole story, and the whole story of your life and the history of this world, whether you realize it or not, begins right here. You will never understand your story. You will never understand the story of the world. You will never understand why things happen. Joy and sorrow, gain and loss, suffering, and everything else in between until you understand the story of stories. And it begins right here. The story of stories right here in Genesis chapter 1. Verse 1. I want to give you this morning in these three opening verses of Genesis chapter 1, I want to give you two foundational truths to understanding the rest of God's story. In these three verses, you will see two foundational truths that you must understand in order to put in perspective and understand the rest of the story of God from Genesis to Revelation, two foundational truths found here in God's story. The first foundational truth is this, point one, in the beginning, God. I want you to underline that phrase in your Bibles. In the beginning, God. This is the most foundational truth for you and I to live. This is the most foundational truth for you and I to understand our story. This is the most foundational truth to understanding the story of God from Genesis to Revelation. In order to have a biblical worldview, you can't do it without embracing this foundational truth that in the beginning, God. In the very opening words of the scripture, you understand and see who the main character is in the Bible. And it's not you. You are not the main character. You are not the subject of the greatest story ever told. You are not the center of the universe. You are not the center of the story of stories. But who is at the center of the story? God. And this is why it is the most foundational truth that you and I can take away. That in the beginning was God. You see, what Moses is communicating to the people of God is that before there was anything, before there was a heavens and an earth, before there was a planet, before there was matter, before there was you, there was God. 
and God is the main subject, that God is the main character. So that when you go through life and you are tempted to have a pity party for yourself, you can say, I am not the center of the universe. I'm not even the center of my own story. But before my story was even put into place, before my story came onto the map, there was God. God was in the beginning. In the beginning was God. 34 times in the first 35 verses of the Bible, God's name is mentioned. 34 times the name of God is mentioned in the first 35 verses of the Bible. Do you not think God wanted to give you a wake-up call to say, your story is not ultimately about you, but it's about God? So when we talk about having a God-centered life and having a God-centered perspective on all things, this is precisely what we're talking about. Nothing caused God. God caused everything. God is not dependent on anyone or everything, but instead, everyone and everything is dependent upon him. And until we understand that, we will never understand life. Until we understand that, we will never understand the story of this world. Until we understand that, we will never understand the story of God as it's found here in the word of God. So who cares though? What are the implications for everyday life, for the reality and the truth that in the beginning there was God? What are the implications of God's existence, that there is a God? Well, first implication is this, there are absolutes. There is an absolute God, therefore there is absolute truth and absolute morality. There actually is a standard before you came on the scene and started to dictate that which is true and that which is false. Before you started to determine because of your feelings, this is good and this is evil, this is moral and this is wrong, there was a standard and his name is God. And because God was in the beginning, he gets to set the standard for that which is true. Therefore, we have something called truth with a capital T. There is something called absolute good and absolute evil. You see, this is the atheist dilemma. Because the atheist dilemma is this. The atheist wants to live in a world in which human dignity and value and worth is upheld. The atheist wants to live in a world in which they can determine that which is good and that which is evil. The atheist wants to live in the world where all human beings are treated with worth and dignity. But here's the problem. According to whose standard? According to the standard that you woke up one day and you just felt this way, that this is good and this is evil, that you just woke up one day and according to your own emotions and feelings, you dictated that which is good and that which is wrong. This is the atheist dilemma. How can you live in a world in which there is no absolute being, therefore there being no absolute truth or morality, and still want to uphold all of these things that you believe keep a society and a culture and a civilization flourishing? You see, even the most honest atheist would admit that it is impossible to live in this world without any absolute truth and without any absolute being. 
A pastor in New York City said the greatest blow to atheism was 9-11 because it was the atheists who said that there's no absolute. There's no absolute being. There's no absolute truth. But when even the atheists saw two planes hijacked and propelled into two buildings in New York City, even the atheists said what? That is evil. You see, at the end of the day, our hearts and minds understand that which is good and that which is evil. Even the person that denies the existence of God has to come to the conclusion that there is such thing as truth and there is such thing as morality and there is such thing as absolute good and absolute evil. So the existence of God shows us and implies that there are absolutes in this world. The second thing that it implies in the beginning God is that there is purpose that there is a chief designer, that there is a chief creator, and that this life and your life and your story is not meaningless. If there truly is a God, in the beginning God, if there truly is a God, it means your life and my life is not meaningless. But it means that your life has purpose. It means that you are not a cosmic accident but that God before the foundation of the world had you in mind and had your story in mind that the creator God created you with a distinct purpose so therefore there is no such thing as a meaningless life or a meaningless existence third implication that in the beginning God means that he is the king he is sovereign over all in the opening lines, it says, in the beginning, God, he did what? He created the heavens and the earth. That idea, that concept of heaven and earth there is what we call a mirrorism. You see it in other places in scripture. You might see it in the phrase, the east to the west. Or you might see it in the phrase night and day. What the phrase there, heavens and earth, it communicates totality. That when Moses tells us that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. It is the totality of all things. That he is the king. That he is the cosmic ruler. That he is Lord over the heavens and he's the Lord over the earth. That Moses wanted us to understand the totality of God's sovereign reign. So therefore, there is not one area of your life. There is not one area of history. There is not one area of the universe that is is not under the cosmic reign and rule of God. He is sovereign over all things. So in the beginning, God tells us there is an absolute. There is an absolute truth which guides our life. There is absolute distinct purpose. Our lives are not meaningless. And in the beginning, there is a God implies that he is sovereign over all universal majesty from beginning to end. Therefore, you can't go through this life saying, I am completely distinct and independent, that I can live my life in freedom. No, it is all dependent upon the transcendent, majestic, universal, sovereign God. And you will be lost in this life until you understand this, until you understand that in the beginning there was God. The second foundational truth, not only do we see in Genesis chapter 1 the foundational truth in the beginning God, but the second foundational truth we see in verse 2 and 3, out of darkness, light. 
This is the second foundational truth to understanding the story of the Word of God, the story of God. The phrase out, the, the of reality of out of darkness light is a paradigm for what God will do, not only at creation, but will serve as the paradigm for what God will do throughout all of history. What is the setting in which God enters into? It says in verse 2 that the setting was void, that the earth was without form and void, and it was dark. So we have this in the beginning God, and he begins his creative work into a formless, void, dark setting. All of those phrases there are synonymous with evil, sin, and chaos. So what Moses wants us to understand is that God enters into this chaos. He enters into this darkness. He enters into this area that is formless and void. And what happens in this area that is formless and void and dark and chaotic? What happens? In verse 3... It says, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. What is happening there? In the midst of this formless and void and dark setting of creation, what is God doing? God is speaking. It says, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. We see what? What is God speaking there? It is his word. And we see there in verse 3 the power of the creative word of God. Don't miss that. That this will serve as a paradigm for us regarding the, the power of God's word. God speaks into the darkness and there is light. God speaks into the chaos and there is order. God speaks into the void and there is creation. We see the creative power of the word of God to bring about life. And we see life coming out of darkness. We see light coming out of darkness. We see peace and order coming out of the chaos. This is what theologians call creation ex nihilo, creation out of nothing. This is the creative power of the word of God, that God is not dependent upon anything except his own creative word to bring about light and life. What an incredible reminder for us practically in life that when we live our lives under the word of God, what happens? When we live our lives under the word of God, this word of God, when we live our lives in submission to it, the promise of God beginning in creation is that there will be order and there will be peace and there will be light and there will be flourishing. But as soon as we choose to not live our lives in accordance to the word of God, as soon as we make the decision to not live our lives under the authority of the word of God, what is the promise? darkness and chaos and disorder. This is always the model for how the word of God works. This is the creative power of the word of God to not only bring light into the universe, but also to bring light into our lives. And you see from Genesis chapter 3, this has been the tragedy of the fall of man. When Adam and Eve chose to ignore the word of God, when Adam and Eve chose to not live under the word of God, what happened? Creation was reversed. The curse ensued. 
And instead of light and life and peace and order and flourishing, as soon as Adam and Eve chose to not live under the creative power of the word of God, sin and darkness and chaos, it was the reversal of creation. Are you following me here? How, how monumental and significant Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, 2, and 3 are. And since Genesis chapter 3, we have been living our lives apart from the word of God. And we as a people have been unleashing sin and chaos and destruction into our lives and into this world. Is there anyone here this morning that cannot acknowledge the universal destruction of the chaos and the darkness and evil that is pervasive in this world? And we wonder why. It is the undoing of God's creation. That is what sin is. Unleashing sin and darkness and evil into this world. And I have seen tragedy after tragedy of people's bodies breaking down, of families breaking down, of their finances breaking down, of their homes breaking down, of their, of their individual lives breaking down, all because they have chosen not to live in accordance to the word of God. This is always the promise of God, that when we live our lives under the authority of the word of God, there is peace and order and flourishing and light. And when we choose not to, it is the opposite. But in the first three verses of Genesis chapter one, we not only learn about creation, but we learn about redemption. Remember I said that this idea of God creating light out of the darkness would serve as a paradigm, not just for how God created the heavens and the earth, but it would serve as a paradigm for how God would work throughout all of history. You don't believe me? Look at second Corinthians chapter four with me. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. This is not me speaking. This is the Apostle Paul. This is the Apostle Paul making a connection between redemption and creation. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 6. For God said, for God who said, let light shine out of the darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. There it is. What Paul is doing is he's saying the first three verses of Genesis will not only teach us about how the heavens and the earth were created, but it would forever teach us how God redeems humanity. And just as God shined light into the midst of the darkness and the abyss and the formless void at creation, this is how God would work and redeem you and me. Think about it. How did you become a Christian? What's your testimony? I was dark and I was empty, formless and void. There was an emptiness in my life that nothing in this world could satisfy and fulfill. And God came down in the person of Jesus Christ and he said, let there be light. You see, God is trying to teach us here in Genesis chapter one that his creative word was not only there in creation, but would continue to be there pursuing us. And how does the light enter the darkness? John chapter 1. 
John chapter 1 tells us this. How does the light enter the darkness? John chapter 1 verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, the creative Word of God. And the Word was God. Who's John talking about? He's talking about Jesus who is with God in the beginning. And the Word was God in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made in him was life and the life was the light of men and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has overcome it. Verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we've seen his glory, the glory of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. The way the light enters the darkness would be thousands of years after creation. The word of God that spoke light and life into existence would come down. The word would be made flesh in the person of Jesus Christ and it would be on the last hours of Jesus' life that we read in that Good Friday narrative that darkness entered the world. And darkness covered our Savior. And the darkness that you and I deserve fell on Jesus Christ, the Word of God that became flesh, so that darkness would never fall on you and me. There it is. On the first pages of Scripture, the Gospel of Jesus Christ. The story of stories from the beginning. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God brought light out of the darkness so that you would be filled and that God would empty himself of his glory so that you would never be empty again. And the truth this morning is your life will be empty and chaotic. Your life will have a void until it is filled with the word that made flesh. So in closing, how in the world does this apply to us this morning? Let me be very clear. Let me be very clear and honest with you. If all this isn't true, if all this isn't true, that in the beginning there wasn't a God, and God really has no plan for us, that everything is random and everything's meaningless, if all of this isn't true, then go out this morning and live like it. Go. You have the permission of the pastor of Coleridge Presbyterian Church to go out and live if you are not convinced there isn't a God. Go. Go live as if there is no heaven. Go live as if there is no meaning to life and no purpose. Go live as if there is no absolute truth that everyone and everything is morally neutral. Don't pray and don't bother coming back next week. Don't bother if it isn't true. But if it is true, if it is true, listen to me, that there really is a God and God is working his redemptive plan from the beginning of creation, your life will never ever be the same because now you have hope. Now you have meaning. Now you have purpose. Now you know that on your worst day that there is a sovereign king who is over control of everything, according uh, even your life, and you know at the end who wins. You now have truth and direction and a map to guide your life. Ravi Zacharias, several years ago, went to 
what is known as America's bloodiest prison, Angola, Louisiana. 85% are there with life without parole, 45% on death row. Ravi Zacharias says, I've never seen ever a prison like this. The prisoners are actually given a knife upon arrival to defend themselves. Ravi says, you've never seen a prison like this, blood on the walls and blood on the ceilings and blood on the carpet. And Ravi Zacharias meets a big burly man. He's the warden by the name of Burl Kane. What a perfect name for a warden. Burl Kane was convinced by the governor to come in because this prison was so overrun and so dysfunctional. And Burl Kane took the position of warden under one condition. He said, Governor, you do it my way. Burl Kane was a Christian. And so what Burl Cain did his first month there, he put scripture all over the walls. He started Bible studies. He started a theological training for the people on death row. 90% of the death row inmates are going to theological college. They will never see the light of day, but they all will have a degree in theology. Ravi joked, he said, instead of seeing a gang of thugs, you had a gang of pastors. He said the reality of God was everywhere. But at the end of Ravi's visit, he was introduced to one of the inmates who just a few months ago committed his life to Christ. And Ravi reached to the bars and he said, so I heard you found Christ here. Can I ask you a personal question? The man said, of course. Ravi said, how does it feel that you will never get out of here again? And the inmate said, you know, I don't think about that anymore because what I found in here in Christ has given me, given me a freedom I have never had out there. Listen to that. The freedom I have found in here has given me a freedom that I never had out there. And now I just pray for my parents who think they're free, but still in bondage because they don't know Jesus Christ. The inmate led worship that afternoon. Listen to me. If there is no God, there is no truth, there is no meaning, there is nothing sacred, including humanity, no future, and no hope. And here's the deal. If, I'm, if I am wrong and you are right, if you are doubting the existence of God this morning, then guess what? You will miss nothing in life. But if you're wrong and there is a God, you will miss everything. And there will be come a day where you will be past the point of no return. If this is all true, then the audacity of anyone to leave here this morning, not saying, Lord, come into my life and shine the light of your word the word that became flesh into my life. Only the fool says there is no God. For those that don't believe this morning, would you surrender your life to the word that was made flesh? There is an emptiness in your heart and in your life that nothing in this world can fill. I plead with you, plead with you to run to Jesus. I don't know how anyone this morning could leave here this today not believing in God. For me, this is deeply personal. I could not get out of bed in the morning if there was not a God.
I could not exist in this life and in this world if it was not true in the beginning. God, that, my friends, is an impossible life. Your story and my story will never make any sense until you surrender your life to the God who begins it all, starts it all, who in the beginning was God. That is how the story begins. Is that how the story begins for you?